I'm in giant intergalactic failure on every dimension. I don't even have a GED. I got thrown out of school at 18. In school, I didn't fit. I found out at 21, I have five different learning differences, dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, and a couple others. And so at 18 years old, Stephen, with very few choices, because nobody would hire me to do anything, uh, I started a company. For me, entrepreneurship was not a way up in the world as much as it was a way out of a life of struggle and poverty. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Well, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. Uh, got with you today. Uh, the Knucklehead, Stephen. Uh, it was a long journey to get to this point, but we got Chris Lockhead uh, with us. And, and really, uh, quite frankly, Chris is, is the reason that we're here. It's always fascinating talking to people who are significantly smarter than I am. Uh, most of those document that, that smart difference with their, with their words and they write books, the way that they are able to put things together and organize ideas. I'm always fascinated by that approach. And, and so, Chris, I appreciate you taking some time and, and being patient uh, getting to this particular step of the process. So I'm, I'm fascinated. Stoked to be here. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your, your experience, you know, f- for those of you who are listening, to put into context, Chris is, you know, he's written how many books? I mean, I see two, but I see 14 times bestseller as well. So, like, b- w- how many books have you written, Chris? Um, more than I can count. But big books, I think four or five, 14 number one bestsellers, but big books play bigger and niche down. Uh, Marketer's Guide to Category Design, Category Design Toolkits, uh, Snow Leopard, and our most recent one, 22 Laws. So I think that's four, four or five big books. And then the little books, what we do, uh, we write a newsletter called Category Pirates. Okay. But like everything, <laughs> we're always designing new categories. And when we started the newsletter, Stephen, the, the newsletter just started to get longer and longer. It went from like 3,000 words to five or 6,000 words. And, and so we sort of had this aha. Anyway, long story longer, we take the newsletters and we drop them on Amazon as Kindle books. Oh, very cool. And then what we do is we take, you know, 10 to 15 newsletters, put them together, and ta-da, that's a big book. There you go. So... You know, we just offer people lots of different ways to consume, um, to consume our work. Being able to tailor your content in a way that scratches however folks like their itches um, is, is probably the, the best way to go about it. And I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here by telling you that. Uh, it's, it's fascinating the amount of people that listen to not just this podcast, but listen to other podcasts and ends up kind of, they end up kind of putting things together and when you, it's like when you interview them about how they discovered net new, it, it, it's always changing. There's uh, social media style micro content, there's newsletters, there's references from existing podcasts. It's, it's, it's funny just how people can pay attention to, to your particular show. So I think it's fascinating the way that you've designed that, uh, uh, that mousetrap and help people uh, be down the door to come and find you. So, yeah, I mean, it's a distribution strategy and it's a choice strategy. You know, some people subscribe to our newsletter, they get everything we write. Yeah. Some people say, oh, I'll wait for the books. Great, wait for the books. Yeah. Uh, some people don't want to subscribe to the newsletter, they buy the books and they want to buy some of the newsletter, aka mini books on Amazon to re- read because it's a topic they like. Great, we, we don't care. I understand. 
choice, agency, whatever, whatever you want to do it, however you want to consume it, whatever you want to do. And I think it's a big lesson for, I mean, we're not really a media company, of course, but I think it's a big lesson for media companies. It's like, don't, don't get overly, you know, focused on, it has to be this way or that way or whatever. Experiment with how folks want to interact with your work. A hundred percent. Well, I mean, you, the way that you even just described that particular process, I, got, I have to ask, because this is Knucklehead Podcast. This is not Guy Raz, how I built this. You know, I got it right perfectly the first time or, you know, uh, had the right VC company backing me up and they had the, the buttoned-up strategy ahead of time. This is Knucklehead. This is this is what you've screwed. We, we came up with that, by the way, by simply just screwing up, as you have experienced just getting into this particular studio that we're sitting here. <laughs> that's a that's a play on a different story. I may have to write a, a post about that on LinkedIn later. But Knucklehead Podcast was formed out of this idea that you're going to screw up, you're going to make mistakes, and so just go ahead and make them. Just just appear to look like an idiot, and uh, in in the process of of doing that, you'll uncover uh, different and, and new and innovating and fun ways to to get the project done and and get things delivered uh, for your customers as well. However, time is money. I'm interested. How did you come across the process of, you know, having a diverse set of how you distributed your content? And when you when you get when you have feedback loops there, like how, how did you decipher what was important, what to pay attention to and and how to devise that strategy, Chris? Because it seems like a very good approach. Well, it, it turns out it is because essentially we have a top 10 paid Substack uh, newsletter and we're able to. Uh, kind of collaborate, write books, if you will, in public and get feedback. And, you know, because, of course, a newsletter turns into a community, right? And so um, rather than do what traditional writers do, and look, my first book was with a traditional publisher, top tier publisher, advanced, the whole thing. Um, I have not done that subsequently um, because the short answer is everything's an experiment today, right? We're living in a new native digital world, Nobody really knows how to pioneer this world. And so we think what there is to do is go and play. So when we originally started writing our first book together, the category pirates, that is, um, we thought we were going to write a book. And as we were working, Stephen, we just sort of had that. We were doing a lot of primary research. My partner, Eddie Yoon, is, 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 is the uh, Yoda of um, category science research, real data. Uh, he's worked most of his career in uh, kind of S&P 500, S&P 100 consumer brands, helping them design and dominate new categories. So very research rich uh, environment. And so we were doing all this cool new research and playing with big ideas and talking to lots of legendary entrepreneurs. And as we started writing the book, you know, I was feeling like I, I, I don't want to wait a year for this to fucking come out. Like this is too good. And so we sort of had this aha, which is, well, what if we write the book in public as a newsletter and so that's what we did and that's what we do now and it's really cool because we're always writing uh, me and eddie and uh, katrina kirsch and the th so the three of us are category pirates and we're always writing together and we're always working on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and then we package things up and once or twice a year we launch a big book like a proper book like we just did with 22 laws right and it means that we're always thinking, always researching, always talking to people, always learning, always experimenting. And here's the other thing. In the native digital world, you can collaborate with your people. And so I love interacting with readers and listeners 
uh, online and getting their feedback and hearing what their concerns are and all this sort of stuff. And so it just, you know, there's this notion that writers kind of go away to a log cabin in the woods for two years and come out with genius and ta-da. And we've kind of blown that whole model to smithereens and, and we're creating a new model. And not only is it a much more powerful way to for the three of us to collaborate and then to collaborate with folks who care about business growth and entrepreneurship and category design and marketing and all the stuff that we write about. But from an economic point of view, well, creators need multiple platforms and multiple sources of income. And we can talk about why if, if, if it's not clear. And so we have an Amazon publishing business and we publish big books and little books and we have a sub Substack business and we have a podcasting business. And of course, they're all interconnected. And we're about to launch um, the Category Design Academy. And so we'll have courses and kind of a more formal community. And so, and I think, you know, a lot of creators are trying these things, but I think having, what you're trying to create ultimately is a flywheel yep. of um, different content on different uh, platforms. That's right. And, um, and a, a way to build radical connection. You know, when I was a kid, I, I couldn't reach out to my heroes who were writing the books that were helping form my future. There was no way to get in touch with David Ogilvy, right? And so in the native digital world, you know, we try to be pretty available. A lot of things that you're touching on there uh, are generating some questions around process because, you know, in order to insinuate, so in, to insinuate that, that somebody has a, um, a business, excuse me, to, to have a business, it would insinuate that somebody's got, uh, you know, their head wrapped around process and how to provide some structure and some stability. We had somebody come on the podcast back in, um, uh, this is going back about 18 months or so. He was uh, Yin Young, Yin Young, and he was, he's a CEO for a private equity business that uh, invests in uh, like crowdfunding real estate deals. And, he, you know, he came, he was on Shark Tank. He was, uh, ran a fast casual sushi uh, place. Prior to that, he was in distribution and logistics. Brilliant guy, author, and he starts talking about clearly the delineation between, you know, startups, those style of businesses and maturity, you know, the maturity of, of organizations and the different, I guess, iterations of growth and how, you know, what's attractive to different people. And so when I, when I hear you talk about how things of people would go away, they would go and write books, and now it's, it's just more diversified in terms of which platforms and which mediums creators can go and distribute their content it makes me think about, you know, having an offer for these large, large, I guess, behemoth style organizations that aren't necessarily as customer facing in manufacturing space or, you know, in some of the in more industrial oriented organizations where things, topics like safety and, and employee engagement and that type of thing, the model that you just described is a, is a great way that they could even just engage their organizations. And so, you know what I mean? It's just, there's just great ways to go about that distribution method. It's, it's applicable. This is this, you could take what we just talked about and use it as an internal communication strategy. A hundred percent. You could, you could take what we just talked about and use it as a marketing strategy. Yep. As a matter of fact, the next big book we're writing and we're writing it in real time, through the category pirate substack is going to be called paid to create. That's incredible. And we're going to teach people how to get paid to create. And, and more importantly, way more importantly, the aha here is that sort of the highest rung 
of value in the working world historically has been what Peter Drucker called knowledge workers. Some people say white collar uh, workers. And the reason all of our moms wanted us to be doctors or lawyers or accountants or nurses or things along those lines was because in the old world, the Peter Drucker world, the highest value thing you could do would be to go, go get a high value education where you acquire knowledge. And then you get paid often by the hour to apply that knowledge. And ta-da, you're a knowledge worker. Well, the aha today is as the availability of all of humanity's knowledge becomes accessible and closer and closer to free over time, people who get paid to apply existing knowledge are going to become less and less. Less and less valuable. Yes. Wow. So the question is, the aha is rather, there's a new rung in the value stack, and that's somebody who can create net new knowledge and monetize that knowledge. And that's a creator capitalist as distinct from a knowledge worker. And so, and look, all of us start off with acquired knowledge. Every rock band starts off playing covers. Three, four chords, you know, an old Bob Dylan song that sounds great, four chords, blowing in the wind, etc. Every band starts off the same way. But of course, there are some total of zero cover bands in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the reason for that is the people in the art world that we respect and admire the most and the people who make the biggest difference and the most money are the people who create net new. And more often than not, create new genres or create new categories. And so it's people who can not just apply knowledge, but create net new knowledge in new categories of value and monetize that net new knowledge, a.k.a. creator capital, who are going to be the most successful going forward. And so we're, we've been actively writing about this for over, over a year now. And um, we'll have hopefully in 2024, a great book called paid to create that'll kind of lay all this out. Yeah. That's a, it's fantastic the way that you've been able to crystallize uh, the formation of that process. It's almost like you've done this before, Chris, you know, uh, these category design, the, the category design element, there was a, there was another guy that we had on the podcast uh, that created a, um, uh, a consumer-oriented product. Chris Mead is his name. And Chris, Chris, uh, he created this volleyball kit that instead of it being, you know, the regular volleyball you toss from one side and team, it was, uh, I can't remember the name of the product, but it was, it's like a four-way cross net is actually the name of the product. And he, in his podcast recording, talked about he referenced some of the, I guess, some of the sections of 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 your book about category design and and how they tried to create something new and and have like a, a system of play with this new product, and that new product then created you know just yet another niche or vertical within within the lifetime sports category or you know millennials wanted to be able to socialize a little bit differently by having a different style of of uh, of game or leisure game so uh, it's fascinating the application of these uh, these ideas that you've written so much about um, well and you know the interesting thing about that Stephen, is um, category design is a new lens most people in business have a product lens yep most people in business have a brand marketing lens Everybody in business has a competition lens. We've all been taught that what we're here to do is compete and win. Turns out that's 100% not true. 
And so category design is a new lens. And once you understand categories, you see them everywhere. And you all of a sudden notice they've been hiding in plain sight. You you ready for my latest new category? Let's hear it. All right. So I grew up in the East Coast, Montreal, Canada. And I love going to Jewish delis. And in Montreal, we call pastrami smoked meat. It's a little bit juicier. It's a little bit fatter. It's what we grew up eating at all, all the legendary Jewish delis, uh, Walensky's and Schwartz's and these places in Montreal. Anyway, it's very hard to get a good pastrami sandwich on the uh, West Coast because, A, they don't have them. And when they do have them, they put all this foo-foo stuff inside it and, and fuck the sandwich up. So I'm always on the look for a good pastrami sandwich. The other day, this place here, I live in Santa Cruz, California. They're a catering company and they start opening to the public a few days a week. And the place is called Busy Bee. The owner's name is Ty. And Ty is one of these highly creative chefs. Point A. Point B, I think that pizza and burritos are probably the, mo the two most perfect foods ever. And so Ty loves pastrami sandwiches. He creates a pastrami sandwich and puts it in a burrito. Yeah. It's a pastrami sandwich burrito. And man, is it ever good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, have you ever been to Austin? Category. Have you ever been to Austin? Yeah, of course. So, so Taco Deli is what it, I've had many of night of debauchery. <laughs> in sure. But I, I interrupted you before you were finished. So I apologize. Go ahead, finish that story because it's, no, no, I'm finished. Well, interrupt the shit out of me. It's, we're having a conversation. Ta Taco Deli is, is so what I'm hearing you talk about is, is there's that reminds me so much of, of Taco Deli where, you know, if you spent some time in Austin, which sounds like you have, there are people who look at the menu and they are like, no. I want to take some of that, some of that, and put it all together in their own little thing. And it's happened. I've waited in too many lines to hear exactly what you're talking about. But it, what you were talking about just reminded me of that experience. So thank you, Chris. <laughs> so the, the category is burrito sandwiches? Is that, is that what I'm hearing you say? No, the category is pastrami sandwich burrito. Oh, okay. And I, do they call it a pastrito? I don't, they have a great name for it that I'm forgetting. That's awesome. Something like that. Uh, a strami rito. I don't a rito. I love it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's something like that's that. That's fantastic. Well, th those those types of those types of creations are for for somebody who's a little bit more like me. I, I'm I'm a little bit more of the the hermit crab, the homebody, the you know the the person who doesn't like a whole lot of change, who wants things to be kind of the way that they were. I'm I'm a little bit more reserved in that way. However, almost every time I try something new, and my wife brought this part of me out, you know, more especially as I've gotten older, is just being willing to go and try new things or you know, like our kids, for instance, they'll be into new things uh, on YouTube. Like we went to go watch uh, a movie recently and there were some previews for some new ones that were coming out. And that's almost the favorite time, you know, of the movie, in addition to just being able to talk about the movie afterwards, is talking about what you could, you know, maybe interested in going to see it later. And uh, my youngest is into, uh, they call it FNAF, the uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. It's a cartoon spinoff and it's it's more you know, thriller, horror-ish type, type stuff. It's not really my cup of tea. However, I remember growing growing up and watching the movie It, and it was terrifying. But everybody, it's such a commonplace. You can you mentioned the word It, and 
it doesn't matter if you're you know 60 70 or 16 or, or 10 you you can talk about it and kind of identify with some of the conjured up emotions from seeing that and that's that's what i think is creates those connections with new things now that i've i've learned to to enjoy as i've kind of gotten over myself over the years if that makes sense absolutely and uh it's one of the biggest fallacies in marketing people say oh you know customers consumers they no they they don't want change human beings don't like change blah 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 well human beings like routine that's for sure however it's complete and total bullshit that human beings don't like change i was reading this the other day uh apple's iphone business if you spun it out of apple would be larger than i think about 75 S&P 500 companies. And it's barely 20 years old. And so my point is 20 years ago, nobody was using a smartphone. Mm. Yep. It wasn't a category. You've heard this expression, it wasn't a thing. Yep. Well, when people say it wasn't a thing, what they mean is it wasn't a category. Yeah. And now we can't live without them. They've transformed the world. And so people love change if they understand what problem does this thing solve? Why does that problem matter? How does it benefit me? And if all of that is compelling, then we will absolutely change. Yeah, it's, it's, it's inevitable. So, so one thing that is uh, inevitable changes, uh, it's always coming. And I, I appreciate the formality and the structure behind uh, some of that change. And I think that that's something that I, that I appreciate about a lot of the work that you've done. And I really do appreciate you blocking time uh, in, in talking through an episode with us here today. It, the objective, you know, uh, of today really was just to, to isolate a specific story. And I know we're running up against it in terms of time here, but it, when it comes to what you screwed up along the way, a, a lot of what I'm hearing uh, from you, Chris, is is the discovery and being willing to kind of go in the direction of wherever it goes, that structure in itself has created some incredible opportunities for yourself and those that work with you. How, or was there a series of mistakes that kind of led you to that, to that process? Or did you, did you have an intent to go in one direction and then you discovered this particular route uh, differently by accident? Or how did you come across, you know, how did mistakes influence to where you are now? It's such a great question. So um, I'm in giant intergalactic failure on every dimension. I don't even have a GED. I got thrown out of school at 18. I found out at 21, I have five different learning differences, dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, and a couple others. And so in school, I didn't fit. School doesn't, if you have an, if you're a neuro, a different person, School is going to be challenging for you. And I grew up at a time where nobody even understood any of these neuro differences. Uh, and even today, they don't really. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. And so for me to find any level of success, Stephen, um, here's how I'd say it. There are people for whom there is a place in this world. And they know it from a, for a long time. I've known people who wanted to be a doctor from the time they were a child. Grew up, got an incredible education, became incredible doctors. And, and people for, for whom life is like that, God bless you. It's amazing. And congratulations. And there are some of us for whom there is no place. We do not fit. 
And so rather than find a place, which is what education is about, what frankly a lot of careers are about, I try this, I try that, I try this, and I'm trying to find my place. Well, when you realize there's no fucking place, I don't fit. The world is wired for other people. Um, You have this aha, and the aha is I have to make my place. And so at 18 years old, Stephen, with very few choices, because nobody would hire me to do anything, uh, I started a company. And so like many entrepreneurs, for me, entrepreneurship was not a way up in the world as much as it was a way out of a life of struggle and poverty. And so when you come from that place where, you know, when I started my first company with my buddy Jack, no education, no money, no relationships, no experience, no fucking nothing. Okay, well, you got to learn by doing, aka experimenting, learn by reading. And I read, even though I'm dyslexic, I read a lot back then and I read a ton today. You know, we have about 30 authors a year on, on our podcast and I read all their books. So learn by doing, learn by reading, and learn by seeking out mentors. And so for me, a life of experimentation is how it had to be because the traditional rules, the traditional teachings, many of them were not applicable to me. And the world rejected me. So I had to make my own place. And that's why I started a company. And so when you, when, when you, when you have that in your background, you know everything's an experiment. You don't expect everything to work right out of the chute. Uh, you know, I've been a, po- a podcaster, author, writer guy now for seven years. I, ha- I-, I had an entire career as an entrepreneur and a Silicon Valley chief marketing officer. This was not my path, but I retired and I won't, you know, we wanted to write this book and it took off and then I retired and I said, okay, now what do I do? And, you know, and so, so writing the first book, um, led to this whole new world that I'm now in, this creator w- world. Sure. And I still, you know, work with companies and do some investing. And I'm still very much involved in the technology ecosystem here in Silicon Valley. But but the point being, when you start with the experimentation, because you have no choice, because you have to make a place, because there is no place, you just continue <laughs> experimenting all along the way. And if you experiment and create and push and pull and fail and and lose a shit ton of money and get laughed at and be incredibly ashamed and embarrassed by things and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, listen, that's innovation. Success is about failing in the right direction. Yeah. That's, it's fascinating to hear you, you describe in detail some of the, um, some of the pathways that you took in, in the realization that you came to at 18 to, to start that or uh, what was it? What, what kind of business did you start in the beginning? Uh, computer training and consulting. Okay. So I was, um, I got thrown out of school. I was in bands. And uh, from the time I was about 13 or 14, we were playing live, playing in bars. And I was always the manager and promoter of the band. And so this buddy of mine, Jack, who was working at a small software company in the late 80s, came to me and said, hey, you know, this personal computer shit is really taking off. And nobody knows how to use this stuff. So I see a real opportunity to trade a company that would do custom programming and education and, and, and teaching businesses how to use this new technology called the personal computer. And so I said, dude, uh, I can't even do math. Uh, math was over for me in grade three. Uh, what are you talking about, computers and shit? And he goes, don't worry, you don't, you don't have to touch the technology. 
you take care of the marketing and sales. I'll take care of the tech and, and the education and development of programs and shit. And we're uh, a match made in heaven. And away we went. Um, and so that's how I got my start. It's interesting. I, I appreciate uh, that. I appreciate that story. And, and uh, kudos to you, Chris, for uh, being able to go throughout your career and uh, you know start with that realization that you can make your own way, uh, contrary to what is formally taught in a lot of cases, uh, the structure of how to do things, as opposed to learning how to create things in two diff- fundamentally different uh, skill sets. And uh, I'm fascinated by your ability to take uh, an idea and then formulate it into a thought and even just the process of being able to put it together in a newsletter form and then write a book about it. So I appreciate you taking the time today to, to chat with not just uh, me, but the audience of folks who, who pay attention to Knucklehead and uh, listen to some of the what we call screw ups along the way. You know, we call don't be a bait about the process. Just go out, get some wins it, it, throughout through willing to look like a, a buffoon and, and a knucklehead you'll get to where you want to go. And so I, I appreciate you you're providing yet another example. When do people come out, or excuse me, when could people go out and, and start a uh, start being able to get the new book that you're writing? Is it is it available for sale or? It's not. So our last book's called The 22 Laws of Category Design. It came out in the beginning of the summer of 23. Okay. And um, by the way, one thing we didn't talk about, when you do what we've done, which is really build what you could think of as a flywheel, a content flywheel with a community, Yep. we know our next book's going to hit number one in the first three days. Because that's what you do. Be- because we've got a built-in audience. We've got, and we're in touch with them. It's not like, oh, there's an audience over yeah. there and we're <laughs> up on a mountain talking down to the uh, dummies down yeah. there. You know, like... The hustle porn, Gary VD, and all those guys. You sound like you've lived in California for a while, so I, I, I'm with you. I'm tracking. No, but those guys, their yeah. business model is to create envy uh, yep. and then monetize that envy. I have to be up on this mountaintop. You have to be the peon down there. You have to wish you were like me. That's why I pose in front of Lamborghinis and chicks with bikinis and all that stupid shit. Yep. And they go, oh, don't you? Yeah. That's all ridiculousness. Um, and so... The model that we have is a radically authentic and transparent one. You get to watch us write a book in real time and be part of it if you want and give us feedback if you want. And so it's just, it's just a very powerful way of doing it. And what it ultimately means is when the book comes out, it hits number one from a sales perspective. And what it really means is if you create a movement where people come together and you're a catalyst as opposed to an asshole on a mountaintop. You're one of us catalyzing a group of us and, and trying to catalyze a conversation around a set of topics that really matter. How do we design and dominate new market categories? How do we radically grow our businesses? How do we get radical differentiation? How do we make the biggest difference in the world from the innovations that we're trying to create? And so when you, when you catalyze a group of people around a set of topics that matter, um, that's exactly what you're doing. And so, you know, I think the big aha here for anybody in marketing is the greatest marketing always was, always is, and always will be word of mouth. And I've been a three-time public company CMO. I've advised over 50 venture-backed Silicon Valley tech companies, and I've never seen one marketing plan that even mentions WOM, never mind has it 
at its core. And the interesting thing about the native digital world is if you view yourself as a person slash company that is trying to um, catalyze a movement and bring people together and drive a conversation, as opposed to trying to be the all-seeing, all-knowing poobah asshole, magic happens. Yeah. And so, you know, I would encourage folks to take a, an educator mindset, to take a collaborator mindset, and collaborate with your customers and, and, and your partners. And, and we can do that in the native digital world. It's a great source of joy for us. Yeah. Um, and it's way different than traditional marketing, which is focused on, I have a message. I want to brand it into your head with a fucking branding iron. Yeah. As opposed to, I have a set of topics that I really care about. If you care about these topics, let's engage together uh, on those topics. Yeah, that's that, that choice model. Yeah, absolutely. It's a... It would it would be attractive to somebody like me, and and I don't know if that fits me into a category, but I I do know that I'm resonating a lot with uh, you know with that last statement, and also the the community oriented approach to uh, just having a collaborative conversation with your customers and with people who enjoy doing commerce with you. I just I, I feel like that model is is a little bit more indicative of how people do business now versus how people had done business in the past. Good, bad, or indifferent. It just it's just two different two different ways to go about it. I appreciate you blocking time for us today and being patient again, getting to this process, Chris. We like to wrap just with any last thoughts before, before we jam for the day. Yeah. Here's what I'd share with you and, uh, and folks. This is the greatest time of technological innovation in the history of human beings right now. And it is the greatest time in the history of human beings to be a creator, to be an entrepreneur. Most people spend their entire careers extending the past, incrementally improving what came before. And there's a great amount of value in incremental improvement. There really is. And the future needs exponential. The future needs the entrepreneurs, the creators, the innovators, the pirates, dreamers to do exponential things, to create in category design, we call it different futures. And there's never been a greater time to create different futures and category design your own new markets than right now. And the future needs you. Fantastic. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Chris, what's the best way for folks to, I mean, there's going to be some folks listening to this that want to connect. I mean, is it go and, and get a book? Is there a community that you would suggest they join or which newsletter would you suggest that they jump into? You know, the simplest thing to do is just go to lockhead.com and there you'll see the books, you'll see the newsletters. Um, so everything really hangs off of, uh, of lockhead.com. There you go. All right. Well, those of you who are listening, resonating with some of what uh, Chris just talked about, there you go. Those are the distraction or the instructions that you got, uh, like a good Marine follow orders. There you go. Go, go to the, go to the website, go listen to what Chris has to say. Chris, I appreciate you've been very gracious today. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you. Stay legendary, my friend. You got it. Take care. You too.